Welcome to Let's Open the Bible, where our goal is to open the Bible and look at what it says. For the next few minutes, we will be looking at a passage from one book. We will continue weekly until we finish that book. I'm Tom Nordstrom, and with me is Bill, Casey, and Nate. Welcome to Let's Open the Bible. This is Season 2, Episode 2. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians. We actually missed one week, so we're going to lump together two episodes this week and cover two different sections. The first is going to be Chapter 1, verses 11 through 23, and then Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so Bill is going to go ahead. We're going to read one section at a time, discuss that section, and then we'll read the second section. So this episode might be a little bit longer, but we just hope that you push through and listen, and then we'll get back on track next week. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 23. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so that was Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 23. I want to make uh, mention of uh, verse 11 where it says, God works his will in all things, Uh, all things. And I can't help but think that that includes even people who are taking a stand against God, even in the things that Satan himself is trying to do. God has the power to take anything that Satan does in his opposition to God and and work it and turn it around to his will. And and people on earth sometimes stand against God and, and they they get up and they'll they'll speak and they'll they'll profess their atheism. And God can even use those things uh, for his will. He has ways of turning that around. So I think that's kind of neat, how how God can work in all things and work his will no matter where we stand. 
Does anybody else have anything? Uh, so you see in verse 13 kind of the natural flow of things. It says they, you, they trusted him after they heard and then after they had believed. And so hearing comes before belief, but once you hear, you have to believe. You have to consider those things and make sure that you believe on those things. And they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we know from other chapters in the Bible that gift of the Holy Spirit is given when you're baptized or immersed in water. And so we see that natural flow of the gospel here, of responding to the gospel here in verse number 13. Okay, I notice also Holy Spirit is given as a pledge. And uh, God has done so much for us. He's given us so many promises, uh, wonderful things that we can look forward to. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. God has given us that as a way of saying, this is to seal the fact that, that I have all these things for you. And so he's given us his spirit uh, as we live here on earth as Christians. And I've always heard, you know, in the Old Testament, kings had a signet ring that they sealed documents with. And so God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. You know, that means that we belong to God. We receive that gift, and it shows... Uh, to us and to others that who we belong to. And so that is also kind of another, I guess, usage of that word being sealed with the Holy Spirit there. Okay, uh, verse 17. I want to dwell on that for a moment. It says that God gives us wisdom in this matter of, of knowledge of God. Okay, God wants us to know him. So many people in this world know nothing about God. They have opinions of what they think God is like, but they really don't know God. As you read through the Bible, you, you see the things that God is doing in the Old Testament. He makes his promises to Abraham, and he floods the world at another time because of his wrath over sin. And through all these things we read, we, we get to know God. And then we get to the New Testament, and we see Jesus coming. Jesus comes to earth and teaches us the ways of God. And we see the letters written uh, in the New Testament. And more and more, we get to know who God is. And God wants us to know him. He wants to know his will for us. And verse 17 mentions that. And uh, going along in verse 18 and following, we see that we can know uh, it says, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. God wants us to know about that. And also, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. We have this inheritance. God wants us to know about that. And then there's the surpassing greatness of his power. God wants us to know all of these things about him. Uh, he doesn't want us to be in ignorance. It's just like having a friend. You get to know your friend and you develop a relationship. God wants that same sort of thing with us. He wants us to know all about him, and he wants to know us. It's interesting to me, those three things you just mentioned, so the hope, the riches, and the surpassing greatness of his power. You know, as us as humans, those are three things that we, I would say, we strive for a lot. We want to have hope. We want to have riches. We want to have power. And yet God has all those things, and those things are available to us if we look in the right spot. And they surpass by a long distance, uh, the things on earth, the hope and the riches and the power that people look for on earth. The things that God has for us are far greater than, than those things that we can find on earth. I think this is a, a very appropriate prayer that we can 
kind of mimic in our lives. Um, these are three things that, you know, Paul prayed that these Christians in Ephesus and the Ephesian region region would receive these things, and I think it's um, something that we ought to pray in our own lives, that we receive these things as well, um, and these are things that we ought to be striving after, um, and we cannot achieve these things, at least in my understanding, these things are not going to be achieved if we are not asking God for for them, um, and humbling ourselves to ask him to for help uh, in these areas it's pretty amazing to me verse number 15 it says that he heard of their faith in the lord jesus and their love for all the saints um so this was in a day and age where you don't really have a decent mail system that gets there very quick you don't have social media where you can post stuff automatically and yet something that they had done he had heard it's uh, their faith was so great that he had heard. And sometimes I feel like we fall into the trap that no one can hear us unless we post on social media 24-7. Well, if we do what we're supposed to do, people should hear us, people should see us, and that should spread. You know, that should be contagious. And obviously it was here because Paul had heard of their faith and their labor and love. Okay, I have something in verse 20. It says, which he brought about in Christ. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about these previous things that he just discussed. The, uh, the hope of his calling and the riches of the inheritance and the surpassing greatness of his power. And then he says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he also talks here about how he seated Jesus in the heavenly places far above everything else. Any authority, anybody's name. And uh, verse 21 says, far above these things. And you think about the things here on earth. Who is probably the most powerful man on earth in our day and time? I mean, probably the president. Uh, The president of the USA. Right now, the USA is pretty much the leading nation on earth. I think we'd be close to the top. Maybe that's American arrogance making that claim. I don't know. But... Uh, I've heard it said that the most powerful man on earth is the president of the USA, and yet Jesus Christ is far above that man. No matter who you look to, no matter uh, how powerful a nation might be or how powerful any individual might be, he's wealthy and, and everybody listens to him and so on. Jesus is far above that man. And God brought about all these wonderful things uh, for us through this Jesus who's raised from the dead, seated up in the heavenly places, high above everything else. It mentions that God put all things in subjection under him. So let's not uh, underemphasize that. Jesus Christ is, is far greater than anything on earth. He's high above all things. And it then mentions that God made him as head over the church. Let's not underemphasize the importance of the church. This church, which is not a building, it's the people. The church is the people, the Christians that God has saved. And God has made these people his body. The church is very important. Uh, We're under Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And uh, this is not an insignificant matter because this, this Christ, who is the head of the church, is far above everything else. And God has wonderful things prepared for us 
And all of this is tied together in Jesus Christ. God put all these things together in Jesus Christ, who is now high above everything else. And so that, that puts us in the church in a very important position. Some people like to uh, downplay the church. You know, oh, I don't like to go to church. Uh, church isn't any big deal. You know, religion's all about money anyway. That's all it is. And religion is an invention of mankind just to get money. That's all it is. Uh, let's not miss out on what the church is really about. It's not about money. It's not an invention of mankind, but it's something that God has made. And he's placed his people who are with Jesus, the one who's high above everything else, and all this is in the church. So let's remember just how important the church is. And I would say we just need to... The church is referred to as the body here, and I would keep that in mind as you read throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians, because sometimes those words are kind of used interchangeably, um, and we have to know what it's referring to. Um, and so the church and the body... The church is the body, and so as we study the book of Ephesians, it's going to come up again, and we'll probably reference back here to Ephesians 1 and verse 23. Um, I would like to make another point about the church. I think you're exactly right, Bill, when you say that a lot of people downplay the significance of the church. Um, we see in—I'm going to jump to Ephesians chapter 3 really fast, talking about the significance of the church, but we see— in Ephesians chapter 3, verse sorry, 10, 9 and 10, that the church revealed God's manifold wisdom um, to the, the heavenly beings. So that's kind of weird, like a weird thing to say. And what exactly does that mean? And in my understanding and what I've learned and studied is that you have all these heavenly spiritual beings or these spiritual beings that we can't see, but they see God, and throughout all of time, they've seen God create the world, and they've seen God you know, flood the world. They've seen God knock down the walls of Jericho. They've seen all these magnificent, amazing, incredible things that God has done, but whenever they saw the institution of the church, they're like, wow, that right there shows God's manifold or many-colored is what that word means, wisdom, um, in a way that other things have not. Um, so that's a interesting thing to think about as we walk into the doors on Sunday, that we're walking into an institution and a group of people that is so much greater that these you know spiritual beings are looking at saying, wow, that right there shows God's wisdom. That shows God's plan right there. Uh, that's a pretty cool thought to think about. And also, some people tend to think that the church was like a secondary plan of Jesus, like it wasn't his initial plan, but it was. It was part of his plan all along from the beginning of time. Um, him dying and him being resurrected, that was not a hiccup in the plan. That was just all part of the plan all along. And the church was meant to be what it was the whole entire time. It came about right when it was supposed to. Um, and so this was not some sort of secondary uh, plan of Jesus. It was the plan all along. I've heard that also, where Jesus was not meant to die on the cross. Right. That was an oops, and so the church was an afterthought. We'll just do this for now, right. and then sometime later Jesus will come back again in order to achieve what he failed to achieve the first time. And I just I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the church was God's plan all along. And just to add a little more of, uh, of what I said earlier, people downplay the church, people 
you know, look at church and they, they don't have a great concept of what the church is. And a lot of that is the fault of mankind. Mankind takes things of God and mankind has a way of altering them uh, into something different. And I, I mentioned the idea of religion being all about getting money. And so some people think that's all church is. It's just about getting money. And that's not what God's plan was. People have done that throughout history. People in the name of Jesus Christ have established this church or that church. And people can see they're all about money. And it turns them off. That that's not what God meant for the church to be. And so if you see things relating to the idea of church that might turn you off, uh, might give you negative ideas... Uh, just keep in mind, that's not what God meant for it to be. God didn't mean for it to be these things that mankind is making it out to be. It's not just about going together to a building for an hour or two on Sunday. Uh, that's what people think of sometimes when they think of church. Oh, yeah, it's, it's that one or two hours we give to God on Sunday. It goes far beyond that. And so keep that in mind. Um, a lot of these ideas that people have about what the church is does not come from the Bible. It's uh, something that mankind has invented. The church is God's body of people that he has lifted up and exalted and has so many wonderful things prepared for these people that he calls the church. I've got one more thing that I want to add before we uh, in this section, and then I'll be quiet. Um, going back a few discussions, back to that prayer where he prays for these three things um, in in verse um, 19, he says, I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the riches um, that you have. And then I also want you to know the greatness of his power. Um, and then he includes this, this immeasurable greatness of his power is for or it's toward us who believe. Um, so this power is available to us. And then he says, this power is the same power or the same might that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. Um, that's a pretty amazing thought, that the God that raised Christ from the dead, I mean, if, if me or you or, or anybody in the world today going to raise someone from the dead, someone being dead is a dead end for us. I mean, there's no, we're at a standstill. If someone dies, that's our, we've exhausted our resources. But God has power over, over death. Um, and he saw that Jesus died and he, you know, I don't know if we can literally say this, but figuratively sp speaking, he snapped his fingers and Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, and Jesus had, or God has this incredible power that's immeasurable. It can't even be measured. But that power is the same power that we, that's available to us that we can tap into whenever we pray. It's the power that's available to us to fight temptation. It's so God's power is an incredible, I mean, immeasurable, amazing resource, that same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead, that's available to us. Um, of course, in different ways. Uh, we can't raise people from the dead, but uh, it is, it's available to us, and we ought to not take that for granted. That's okay. all I have. Are we ready to move on to Ephesians chapter 2? Okay, I will go ahead right now and read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. And you were dead in your, trans in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the, spirits, of the spirit 
that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, uh, I see such a contrast in this scripture that we just read. It says, we were dead in sin. We were following the way of the world, and that's the sinful ways of the world, he mentions there. Following the way of Satan, I believe the, the prince of the power of the air is a reference to Satan. So that's just another uh, part of this. We were dead, following the ways of sin, following the ways of Satan, and following our own evil desires. And so the, the picture that's painted is a very bleak picture. You know, we're dead, we're following sin, we're following Satan. And it says we were children of wrath. Uh, that is, we were due to receive God's wrath because of the sins that we were committing. And uh, so that's, that's one, uh, one side of this contrast, is, is the, the sinful, depraved condition that mankind is in, uh, following evil ways and, and nothing to look forward to but the wrath of God. But then, because of God's great love for us, he made us alive. Formerly we were dead, now we're alive, and we're alive in Christ. That's, that's very important there. Uh, all things have come together in Jesus Christ here, and, and this is no different. We are made alive in Christ, and he seated us with Christ. The earlier chapter talked about how Jesus was raised up into heaven and seated in a place that's high above everything else, and now we see ourselves seated there with him. To me, that's quite a, a contrast. We go from being dead to being seated uh, in a high place with the one who is high above everything else. Anybody else? Um, just quickly here, verses 8 through 10. Um, I'm going to read them again just so that we have a kind of understanding of what we're talking about. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself says is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So some people will say this idea that there's nothing we can do. There's no works to be done. It's all God. It's not us. But there is a contrast there in verse 10 that says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so there are some works, some things that are expected of us as Christians. Um... Some people will say there's nothing we can do. Um, God saves us and that's it. But God does expect us to act a certain way, and those are classified as good works. So I would be careful to say there's nothing expected of us 
because there is, because Jesus says, God says, uh, we were created for good works, uh, there in verse number 10. When we understand just how much God has done for us, and we've, we've touched on this uh, fairly well, uh, just all that God has done in, in bringing everything together in Jesus Christ, and then bringing us into Jesus Christ and seating us with him, and he's done all of that by his power, and when we understand that, that should prompt us to do good works. That should prompt us to leave sin behind. And, and so the good works are going to be there. In the book of James, which we did in our previous podcast, uh, James talks about this. If, if we have faith but not works, can that faith save us? The, the faith that we should have should bring about good works. And James points out that faith without works is dead uh, because uh, uh, this scripture adds to that idea uh, that God has prepared good works for us to do. So when we come to Jesus, uh, it's just like Casey said, uh, there are things that uh, God wants us to do. There are going to be works that we need to do. And by faith, we will do those works, not because they save us. That's already been taken care of through Jesus and, and through our faith and through God's grace. But now the works are going to come about. Um, you guys, I think, are right on the money with this discussion, and I'm right there with you that we can't, um, you know, a lot of people use this verse to say, just like you said, Casey, we don't have to do anything. It's not about works, and that's false. Uh, but on the other side of that same coin, you know, growing up in the conservative Christian circle, I think a lot of times we focus so much. We read a passage like Ephesians 2, which is about how much God has done for us in grace, and it's not anything we do, and we go right to that end, which which we should read the last verse too, but we go right to, you know, but we have to work also, and it's about works. Well, yes, but I think me, something I've always struggled with in growing up conservative we don't talk about God's grace enough. Um, and yes, we have to talk about the works, but also I think I maybe never had an understanding of God's grace. Um, and because we always, uh, I always was trying to react and fight against the, you know, the liberal people that take this verse out of context, never appreciate what grace actually is. Um, so, of course, we, the pendulum can go way too far right or way too far left. Um, so let's not, and I'm, not, I'm absolutely not accusing you guys of doing this in any way, but it's something that I did uh, is I would do growing up is we read Ephesians 2, and the only thing we come out with is this is out of context the way you use it. Okay, yes, but how does the, what does the Bible actually say? Well, we are saved through faith, and it's not our own doing. I mean, it is through grace. We had an instructor in school, um, and he taught Ephesians. And when we got to this section, he talked about it here and also in Romans. He said there's a lot of people who, you know, claim faith alone. Um, and, I'm man, I'm opening up a can of worms here. But he says, I believe in faith alone because Ephesians 2 says it. We are saved by faith alone. Now, the denomination people have hijacked that phrase and take it to mean something that it does not mean in the Bible. But we are saved by faith alone. Does that mean that... Baptism doesn't matter? Absolutely not. Does that mean that works don't matter? Absolutely not. But this, the mechanism that saves us is 
our faith in Christ's blood and, and the grace that he has shown us. Now, there's a thousand other passages on works that we can go to that talk about the other side of that. But these things don't contradict, but they coincide and work together. Um, but anyway, that's just rant over. I'll get off my soapbox. Well, I can kind of open up another can of worms if we want. So some people, and I have no people, I guess, personally that have said this. Um, and I'll open this up to y'all to see what y'all have to say. All right, so playing the devil's advocate, some people will say that baptism is a work. And so I don't need to be baptized because that's a work, and I'm saved by faith alone. How, how do we respond to that claim? I think I can answer that. It mentions here in this reading that, uh, verse 9, not as a result of works that no one should boast. The idea here is that works are something that people might try to brag about. You know, hey, everybody, I've done all this, I've done all that, and, and I deserve my salvation uh, because of all these great works that I've done. And, and God's taken that away from us. We, we cannot brag about anything that we have done and say, that's what saved me. It's not. And when you look at baptism, baptism just does not fit into that picture at all. There's nothing to brag about. Who's going to say, hey, everybody, guess what? I did a really great thing. I got dunked in water. There's nothing to brag about there. It's a simple thing to do. It's an act of submission. It simply does not fit into the idea of, here's a list of things that I have on my resume that I can brag about. Anybody can go get dunked in water. And so baptism just does not fit into this idea of being saved by good works. Um, and if you look at the context, again, context is king, uh, as Casey's mentioned in previous uh, passages or, or podcasts. If you look in the context of Ephesians, what we have going on in Ephesians, we haven't got there yet, but we have a big struggle between Jews and Gentiles. Um, and Paul was trying to kind of play the middleman and and be the peacekeeper here that it, Jews came into this thing saying, you know, look at all the works of the law that we used to do. And you Gentiles um, are, are secondary, second class to us because we had God and we did these works of the law. And so <clears throat> works seems to be pointing directly to it's a, it's a Jew-Gentile discussion. It's not a baptism or not baptism, but it is directly talking about the law um, of Moses that they used to follow. Um, so in a way, in a sense, the fact that we're not saved by works is... It's not even talking... None of us were Jews or Gentile, or we are Gentiles, but none of us you know, were in that Jew-Gentile fight. And so in a sense, it doesn't even apply to us, if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, that's, that's one way of looking at it. And another thing that I've talked about, or I've done an exercise I've done with people who say that baptism is a work and we're not saved by works. What they've done is they've pitted two scriptures against each other. Um, they've pitted two, whether they realize it or not, you know, you take a passage like first Peter three twenty one or Acts two thirty eight or Romans 16, 15 and 16 that are explicit about the saving uh, or baptism, the necessity of baptism, you know, go to one of those and let them find their scripture that says we're not saved by works. And you say, okay, here's two scriptures. Pick pick one. You know, which one do you want? Do you want the words of Jesus uh, here in Mark 16? 
do you want the words of, of Peter in First Peter three twenty one that that say you know, that baptism is necessary, or do you want the words of Paul um, in Ephesians chapter two? Pick it. Um, and if they're an honest Bible student, they can't. They but can't also, pick one. sorry to interrupt, but Paul in many of his other letters, points to the necessity of baptism. So yeah. therefore, Paul is contradicting himself if this means baptism isn't essential in his other letters when he says that it is. And so like, it right. just doesn't, it doesn't fit the whole narrative of the Bible. Yeah. One more thing we can add to that is the idea of works is an ongoing process. You know, it's not like uh, in my life I do one good work and I'm saved. You know, here's my good work, God, I'm saved. The idea of being saved by works is I continue throughout my life to do all these good works and I pile up all these points. Mm -hmm. Baptism is a one-time thing. It's easy. It's just a one-time thing. You don't have to repeat it. Uh, It's just you do it. It's so simple. And the idea that we would look at the act of being baptized as a work that saves us, as if we've done something wonderful, it doesn't fit. It simply doesn't fit into the idea of salvation by and works. And I would even add to that, like, baptism is not a work of us, it's a work of God. Um, God's the one who's doing something. If we were just to dunk ourselves in water in a normal circumstance, it doesn't do anything but just get us wet. And so, like, God is working through that means uh, for us to get salvation. And so it's not a work of us, it's a work of God. Yeah. Colossians 2 has become one of my favorite baptism t- texts because it, it says that... God is doing, you know, God is working in this in this baptism. It's God doing the work. One more thing I'd like to add on this. We spent some time here discussing baptism, which is important. And none of us here, I think I can speak for all of us, none of us here want to overemphasize baptism. Yeah. Uh, it's not baptism alone that saves us. Uh, other things are part of it. But one reason we have spent some time, some extra time here discussing it is because there's a lot of people in the religious world today who say baptism is not necessary. They just disregard it, and it's very important. We, we'd spend a lot of time discussing the, um, the importance of faith in our salvation if there were people out there saying that we don't have to have faith. Uh, but the, the real point where, where people try to uh, go against Scripture is is with this matter of baptism, and so uh, let's not leave that out. You know, you, you look at the religious world around us; they understand that we need to have faith, and they understand uh, that it's God's grace, and and so those are things that are, are pretty much in agreement everywhere. But baptism is the point where we have some some people departing from what Scripture says. Uh, let's not leave that out. Uh, let's include baptism as well, since God includes it. I'm glad you said that, because we've got, I think we can be guilty of, you know, talk about that pendulum swing. They swing far left, so we swing far right. Well, that's not right either. We need to we need to just do what the Bible says, and there's no left, there's no right. We should not aim to be conservative. We should aim to be biblical, um, and if the Bible says it, then, then that's what we're going to do. Whether you say it's liberal that's fine. If you say it's conservative, that's okay too. It's just what the Bible says. Um, so the, I think those labels should, should be arbitrary to us, um, and we should just be biblical. Okay, that's all I have to say. Anybody else have anything? I don't have anything. Uh, no, I should be good. Okay, well, 
We appreciate you listening. Uh, we apologize that we missed a week and we've got a longer podcast. But if anything uh, said here today, we've man, we've really talked about a lot. If anything has sparked a question, um, if anything has convicted you um, or made you uh, want more answers, then we ask that you please contact us and we would be happy to answer those things for you and help you uh, move in the right direction. Thank you for listening and we will see you on the next one. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Let's Open the Bible podcast. If you have any questions, want to talk about the next steps in your faith journey, or are interested in receiving our daily Bible verse, which corresponds to the content of this podcast, feel free to reach out to openthebible2022 at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue our study together. Have a great day.